This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated podcast. I'm your host, PWI senior writer, Al Castle, uh, welcoming you to the PWI annual office Christmas party. And uh, joined, as always, by my co-host, uh, Brian Salmon. How are you, Brian? I'm doing okay. I'm, I'm having fun at the Christmas party. With yes, you. yes. Don't get too drunk. Hold on. Let me get in the mood here. <laughs> I got my Santa hat for those watching. <laughs> there's no, there's no Xerox machine nearby. <laughs> And uh, also uh, joined by the boss, uh, PWI Editor-in-Chief, Kevin McElveen. How are you? Doing well. I'm here in my very unorganized office space at the moment. so uh, Yeah, not looking too festive over there. <laughs> no, don't pay attention to the background. There's a lot going on here. Yeah, I think it's best we keep this virtual because the, the actual PWI offices look a little, <laughs> a little if, uh To uh, quote Lenny Leonard of The Simpsons, don't tell people how I live. <laughs> and then finally, a fellow senior writer, Harry Burkett, joining us uh, once again. How's it going, Harry? Pretty good. I'm just uh, glad to have survived and reached the end of 2020. Yes, absolutely. And we were going to be looking back on 2020 on this episode. That's why we gathered everybody here. Um, a, a crazy year in general for all of us, uh, maybe even in particular a crazy year uh, for wrestling. Uh, and and not just because of the pandemic, but, but certainly the pandemic had a lot to do with what a wild year it was. Uh, as I said, we're going to be looking uh, back, looking ahead some to uh, 2021. Um, and uh, yeah, just giving our thoughts. Uh, very quickly, let, let's not do kind of traditional plugs because we got you all here. Don't want to waste too much time. Uh, but you do want to go to pwi-online.com for the latest issue features uh, the tag team uh, 50, uh, first ever ranking of the top 50 tag teams uh, in all of wrestling. And it's uh, still time to subscribe uh, or give a, uh, a gift to your the wrestling fan in your life, uh, give them a subscription up to PWI. Uh, you can do that uh, anytime. And uh, we're going to be talking here about uh, 2020. And before long, the year in wrestling is going to be out. And that's going to include all our uh, awards as voted by you, the PWI readers. We're not going to discuss those uh, here, uh, but you'll, that's definitely something you're going to want to uh, pick up. Um, so again, PWI-online.com. Uh, also go to uh, ProWrestlingTees.com. There's uh, some good gift ideas there uh, in the way of PWI uh, t-shirts. Follow us on social media, at official PWI on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Find us on Facebook, on YouTube, where we're, uh, I believe, going to be uploading this. And uh, yeah, so uh, that out of the way, uh, let's talk uh, about uh, 2020. What a weird uh, year, again, in general, and certainly um, for for pro wrestling. Uh, I'd say highs and lows. I feel like more lows than highs, uh, but but the, the highs were uh, are pretty high. I mean, it, it's weird, at least talking um, as far as WWE, on a year where, Brian, you and I have talked about, you know, in, in some ways, the worst WWE product in a generation in overall um, also featured some of the very best performances uh, in, in the generation. When you talk about the work Roman Reigns has done, you talk about the work um, that Sasha Banks and Bailey have done over the year. And there were other performers who had uh, a standout year. Uh, but again, it comes in the middle of um, just what feels like a, a complete mess uh, of a product certainly highlighted this past weekend. I mean, what what kind of a, a perfect ending to WWE's product that the last pay-per-view of the year 
on Christmas week ends with um, a murder uh, in the ring. I'd, I'd call it the, the, the worst, you know, angle in WWE history. Uh, but I think there's some contenders even this year. It, it's not, uh, it's not even the, the second time a wrestler was murdered to end a pay-per-view this year. It's not even <laughs> right. So it's the third time, right? So we, we've had three WWE pay-per-views end with someone being killed uh, this year. This was the most graphic of all. Randy Orton setting Bray Wyatt on fire in, in the, the middle of the ring. Um, and, and as I touched on, uh, ending a, a show that was otherwise really strong, uh, you know, with, with some really terrific performances and matches throughout. Uh, overall, w- w- what kind of year did WWE have in 2020? Is there any reason for optimism going into 2021, Brian? Um, well, I think, well, first of all, I, I think that what you point out really kind of says a lot because it's not really something that falls on the performers because I think that, you know, WWE has some great workers right now. I mean, it's been said, but they have like this fantasy roster. It's just unbelievable, uh, the talent that they've got. But um, I, I, I think it falls more on the creative side. I think they had a tough time adapting to the pandemic, number one, although I love thund- the Thunderdome concept. Um, I think they had a tough time. They've had a tough time for sure adapting to real competition. Because if I'm not mistaken, I think 2020 was the first full year, right, of AEW and WWE going head to head because they kind of started in the middle of 2019. So I think they've sort of had to scramble a bit. You know, a lot of people have said, like, okay, you've had the worst raw rating, you know, in the history of the show. And this is the show you come back with to try to come come back from that. And you know what I mean? Like they, they still don't seem to have that fire under them. Everybody talks about that that speech that the McMahons gave, which now seems like eight million years ago, where they were like, we've heard you and we're going to do better and blah, blah, blah. And it just seems to have changed nothing. So that kind of thing uh, can be a little demoralizing. But, but you know, there's been a lot to love in WWE this year. The Roman Reigns Tribal Chief stuff is some of the best character work that I've seen anybody do, you know. In WWE or anywhere, yeah, it's great stuff. It's stuff that they should be proud of. I think the NXT women's division still, even though you know NXT for me has lost a step or two, the NXT women's division is still, for my money, the best women's division in wrestling. Still, I mean, talent wise and storyline wise, just they really have it all together in a way that a lot of places don't seem to be able to do. So, I mean, there's good and there's bad, and, and it's just a weird, weird year. Uh, maybe it'll be kind of like a mulligan, and once things knock wood, go back to normal again, we can sort of, you know, give everybody another chance to sort of regroup and say, okay, we know this knocked you off your game and let's see what you could do now that we have the crowds back and everything's back to normal. You know, I mean, I don't know how long that's even going to take, but uh, we'll we'll have to wait and see, I guess. Yeah. I mean, that's a real question is how much, you know, there's so much optimism for 2021 and um, I, I, it's some somewhat merited, but it's going to be a while at least before, um, we're done essentially with what 2020 is, right? I mean, I think for at least the first several months of 2021, we're going to look a lot like 2020. Uh, right. And, and maybe and also, worse. Not to interrupt, sorry, Al, but the other thing I, I forgot to mention too is the whole Drew McIntyre experiment. Mm-hmm. It still feels like the jury's out. It's this yeah. weird limbo of is he over or not? Is it working or not? It's very hard to tell. Um, I'm glad that, I don't know what was the deal with that little Orton switch they did, yeah. but I'm glad they came to their senses and, and kind of put it back on him. But, 
you know, now with Roman and the tribal chief angle, the WWE championship is back to feeling like the secondary title again. So, you know, he's sort of at that other disadvantage too. And, and that might, might be something that live crowds could make a difference on because I still wonder as great as the Roman Reigns stuff has been, what would the live crowd response be? Would they still be like, nah, we still don't want this guy. Screw you. We don't like, we, we, you know, you could do whatever you want. We still don't like him. Or would they say, yes, this is what we finally wanted from Roman Reigns. Again, we don't know. We just don't know. Yeah, I thought about that too. And I thought about that some watching um, TLC, that there are some um, performances, performers, matches that have benefited from uh, not necessarily not having a crowd there, but having the fake crowd there because WWE has been able to kind of inject the reaction that they want for some uh, characters. I thought that somewhat with uh, the Carmella uh, uh, Sasha Banks match, which was a fine match, but I think it was actually helped by all the the the, the fake enthusiasm um, from from the Thunderdome, and it kind of elevated the match. Uh, but but Harry, uh, we should talk uh, uh, more about Drew McIntyre. I mean, when you think about who was made or at least was was tried to be made in 2020 that's the one you point to and start at the very beginning of the year with him winning the royal rumble um you know literally this time last year he was kind of this mid-card afterthought and then they they strapped that proverbial uh, rocket pack on his back uh, in january and um, you know, again, as, as Brian touched on it, it's sort of hard to tell how, how well he's doing, uh, you know, sort of just speaking objectively, I think he's doing fine. I mean, I, I he looks like he belongs. He has delivered, um, a, a string of worthwhile main event performances. Um, what, what do you make of the Roman Reigns experiment in 2020? You mean Drew McIntyre? I'm sorry. Yes. Drew McIntyre. Yeah, okay. Yes. Um, Actually, it's funny. When I interviewed Diamond Dallas Page earlier in the year and we were talking about wrestling with no live crowds, uh, Drew McIntyre was the first name that he brought up by saying that, uh, you know, Drew was kind of bummed out. You know, here I am, WWE champion. I'm headlining WrestleMania, but there are no people here. And one quote uh, Dallas gave me, which I didn't include that in my column. I can't believe I forgot it. He said Drew was the Sean Connery of WWE. And you know what? That really makes a lot of sense. He's very handsome. He's even got the dimples. And when he does these Drew and A's with the uh, Hollywood celebrities, he seems like he's totally at home. So I think he has that bankable Hollywood star power that Vince loves and that really crosses over. So I think even if he has uh, some stumbles along the way, I think Vince is going to keep with him for the long haul. And I like him as the sophisticated, suit wearing champion not not so much the scottish beast i thought he came across very well when he and roman reigns had the, the contract signing on smackdown and to me that was one of the best exchanges of the year because i don't believe a table was broken am i correct in that <laughs> I, I cannot vouch for that <laughs> yeah i love the idea that uh sort of that whole thing by wwe standards was understated it was just a conver conversation between two alpha males representing their uh, different brands. And uh, it kind of goes into the Roman Reigns thing that you were talking about earlier. I think one reason that's compelling is, well, it's hard to use the word understated. It started out as understated, but it has a lot of layers to it. And that's something that WWE audiences don't get very often. And I think Drew is the kind of performer who can deliver those kinds of storylines on his own, like Roman Reigns-like 
storylines like you would see in a movie. So I think 2021 is going to be a very good year for him, even though I suspect a year from now, our conversation will be very similar to today where we're still talking about uh, the pandemic, not having large crowds and the, the economy still recovering. So I think we're in a holding pattern till 2022. And so yeah, is Drew. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Kevin, you know, Drew kind of being the the exception, it is hard. Uh, and even there, maybe it's not the exception. It, it's hard to pinpoint um, where WWE made a lot of stars in, in 2020. When you, you know, look at uh, who is in the, the, the upper tier mix, what WrestleMania um, it's probably going to look like next year. What what are the faces are going to factor in? You're talking Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton and Roman Reigns, um, you know, kind of the same cast of characters uh, with Drew uh, thrown in there. He's kind of the new face. Um, but, but what kind of grade do you give WWE in 2020, just in terms of uh, elevating people? And, you know, we've seen wrestlers who we had high hopes for, Keith Lee, uh, Matt Riddle, both called up. Uh, neither factoring that much into anything uh, these days. Um, you know, Biggie still kind of on his way. He gets in an intercontinental title shot, uh, I believe, uh, this Friday night. And, um, you know, there's reason for optimism there. Uh, but but big picture, how did WWE do in 2020 in terms of creating stars, elevating talent? So Yeah, so that's tough um, because ultimately it's going to come down to that crowd reaction in some way. Though I suspect people are going to get behind the likes of Drew McIntyre because if you look at when WWE, with some exceptions, when WWE, and I mean notable exceptions, it took people a long time to accept John Cena. They arguably never accepted Roman Reigns. Um, but someone like a Randy Orton, when they were really persistent in pushing him back in the day, you know, it made a star out of him. And I think they're kind of in that situation now with McIntyre. Um, but other than that, I mean, I don't know what grade I would give because there, there wasn't a whole lot of minting new stars going on. It was just finding new ways to use people who have been reliable in the past. So your Roman Reigns, um, Bailey and Sasha. And I mean, even if you look at the Hurt Business, who I think are really on the cusp of something special, um, you know, arguably Lashley is at a level in WWE right now that he hasn't been before or uh, he's I, I think there's at least the perception of that. Um, he, and, and along with him, of course you have MVP who was, you know, a non-factor before I believe was it maybe late 2019 when he, when he reappeared, but you know, wasn't, um, no, actually it was the Royal Rumble. The so Rumble, yeah, it he was, was this year. Yeah. 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 So entirely this year, um, I think that faction is going to be a big deal in 2021. No two ways about that. Um, the whole retribution thing's a little bit awkward. I think Mustafa Ali has, uh, you know, a lot of potential in whatever role you want to put him in, but the whole booking of that, uh, the fact that the faction was seen as, you know, sort of silly out of the gate, you know, I think he lends credibility to it, but I don't think the costumes and the strange names have done any favors for the other wrestlers who were involved there, who are all very talented. So yeah, it's kind of tricky. I, I think right now, I, I think they've done some creative things and, and they've done some outside of the box things for better and for worse because, you know, because they could and because they had to. They didn't have that guidance of the live crowd, which, I mean, a blessing and a curse, really, because it 
allowed them to try some different things that they might not have otherwise, but it didn't always work. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up retribution, which I, I had forgotten about and, and it speaks to how, how well it did or didn't do. I mean, to me, um, it was a, a complete bust, a disaster, uh, you know, almost kind of modern day gobbledygooker territory, just how poorly envisioned and executed um, it's been, um, I think has set back all the talent that is involved in it. Um, not that they they can't get past it, but but I think there were, um, you look at uh, Miriam or Donovan uh, Dajkovic, uh, these were talents with, with big, big upsides who I think have taken a step back and a sizable step back because they were in that gimmick. But you, you look at that, uh, Brian, you look at uh, stuff like a, a Raw Underground, uh, um, there were a lot of big swings and, and misses by, by WWE in 2020. Yeah, the, I was just thinking the same thing, that the fact that we didn't even mention Retribution kind of says it all. Uh, just the way, I mean, because there, there was potential there. If they had made it a straight-up angle where you had either talent that had just been let go or talent that was being misused, and they were just continuing their you know personas that people knew and recognized – I think that would have been a much bigger success. I, I think the death knell of that, I mean, it was poorly executed from the beginning, but the death knell of it was, I think, when they find when they said at one point, well, they're only going to be on Raw. And we're just like, okay, so what, their company invasion is just confined to like one show and not the, you know, it, it just spoke to the artifice of the whole thing and it really deflated it. And I think it was- and, and um, Not to interrupt, Brian, but when they got drafted- Yes. Yes. So yes. Why would any show want them? <laughs> right, right, right. They, they they said, okay, these guys that are trying to destroy our company, we're going to give them a chance and see what they can do. <laughs> you know, yeah, that did that. And, and also, um, there was one member, oh, and I'm blanking now, who actually, to her credit, asked to be removed, right, and, uh, from, from the uh, from the angle and not be a part oh, of was, it. Oh, uh, uh, was it uh, Martinez? Uh, Mercedes Martinez. Yeah, yes, Mercedes Martinez. Thank you, yes. That was uh, a, a, a bold and I, I think smart move. I mean, I, I hope she's not punished for it. I don't. I don't know what what the what's going to come out of that. There's but no I, retribution. For <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and th- so retribution. What was the other thing too that we uh, uh, raw underground? Oh, right, which died kind of a very ignominious and quiet death. Yeah, and it just. Uh, I think, as I've said before, you know. Shane is a big MMA guy, and I think that he, you know, was, I'm pretty sure he was a big creative impetus behind that, and they gave it a shot. I think if it was anybody but his idea, they probably wouldn't have even done that. Um, yeah, that, I mean, that that's one of those things, that's like future, future wrestle crap kind of stuff. And it's funny, because we talk about how a lot of the stuff that used to be considered wrestle crap is now loved by a large segment of the fan base. But not this. I think this we can all agree, like fans of all ages and demographics can unite in just the WTF of Raw Underground, right? So I'm well, I would I would say that, but but I don't think that's true. Yeah. Well, well, uh, again, uh, um, when I do these these live tweets on on pay-per-views, uh, I've, I've really tried to kind of tone it down um, in, in recent years and, and be a lot more diplomatic. And so uh, I, I keep like my my most I try to keep my most controversial opinions to myself and only put <laughs> stuff out there that I feel like, all right, I feel like I'm pretty safe saying this. And uh, uh, again, the, the, the finish of the pay-per-view on Sunday with Randy Orton setting Bray Wyatt uh, on fire, I'm like, 
okay, I feel like pretty good about that the whole world is going to think this is stupid. And I put it out there and, oh, you know, uh, again, this was the year that I feel like I, I just, I don't belong anymore. Like I, like I've, I, I am so um, out of touch with a generation uh, of wrestling fans. And maybe that's a good segue to, to the next conversation is, you know, how many, uh, part of it I think was brought out uh, by the, the pandemic, right? Because of the pandemic, we, we saw a lot of innovation in wrestling in 2020 for the better and, and for the worse. Stuff like Thunderdome, I think, was absolutely visionary. I think WWE led all of major sports in terms of uh, accommodating for not having a fans there. And I think they, they they borrowed from different sports. You know, the NBA had, had the bubble and they had some screens in the back. But when WWE unveiled uh, the Thunderdome, it was really super impressive. Um, and, and they absolutely deserve an A-plus uh, for that. But then we saw, you know, other ways that they they had to think outside the box and account for not having um, live fans there. One thing we saw, Harry, you and I uh, wrote about this in our, our top 10 stories. Um, I don't want to say the birth of the cinematic match, but really the uh, the, the surge of, of the cinematic match for, for better or for worse. And um, again, WrestleMania, uh, uh, both the, the Boneyard match, uh, the first time a wrestler was murdered at the end of a pay-per-view, um, and... <laughs> the Firefly uh, Funhouse match at the end of both of those. And, and I've, I've said, um, I, I've changed my tune some on the Boneyard match, not at all on the Firefly Funhouse match. But again, I saw Firefly Funhouse and I thought, there's no way anyone in the world thinks this is good. And uh, boy, was I wrong. So, sorry, guys. Um, t- talk a bit about that, uh, uh, Harry. You know, the... the uh, some of the the innovation, some of the new way of presenting wrestling in 2020. At the end of the day, is it a net positive or or a negative? You know, I'm going to admit that I'm out of touch. Yeah, I was out of touch even when I was a teenager. I wanted Ole Anderson to be NWA champion. That's how out of touch I was. <laughs> uh, but today, I have to say, I'm just going to say this in brutal honesty, and I hate saying this because when I hear people saying they there's so much about wrestling they don't like. I always say, well, maybe it's time to get out. Maybe it's time to stop watching. I hate cinematic matches. They're not wrestling matches. They're movies. They're action sequences. And I just can't get into them. Were there any that you liked? What's that? Were there any that you liked? None. No? Just because I don't buy the concept. I even didn't like uh, Money in the Bank when they're running up, uh, you know, Titan Tower in Stanford to get to the top of the building. Um, I, it, because they're so over the top, you know, like the Boneyard match between Undertaker and AJ. Um, but I give them credit for trying. There were some innovations, you know, beyond the cinematic matches that I really didn't think I would like, but I really bought into. One was the Thunderdome concept. And I have to admit, once that came on the scene in August, I sort of forgot there was not a live crowd. So that really did work some magic for me. And I think in particular, WWE needed that. You know, I can watch Ring of Honor with no crowd or Impact Wrestling with no crowd because I'm kind of used to watching those shows. with Because they never have a crowd. Right. (laughs) But WWE, their whole mindset, uh, their storylines, the execution of the performers in the ring is so over the top. It begs for that large crowd. Where, whereas early on, I was hoping, you know, I said, maybe they'll grasp the intimacy, you know, and maybe really connect with their viewers with a, like a, a toned down production, you know, like 
WWE power, you know, something like that. Yeah. But they're not capable of doing that. So Thunderdome, that was definitely a winner. And I guess we'll see uh, at least remnants of that once uh, the pandemic subsides. But one thing I, I'd like to point out is one thing that was really proven this year across the board was loyalty to pro wrestling, where wrestling fans did not hold the pandemic against their favorite promotions. And, uh, and it runs from you know investors who are really marveling at the brand loyalty to WWE by looking at their merchandise sales and you know, this was their most profitable uh, year ever, but it was across the board. You know, uh, Impact Wrestling fans loved Impact. Ring of Honor fans loved Ring of Honor. And I I didn't see hardly any criticism of things that the industry could not help, you know. So I, I think it made the connection between the fans and the industry a lot stronger. Yeah, yeah I think it's a good point. I mean, I think there was a lot of... Uh, you know, in, in, in lieu of, of fans uh, cheering on um, at ringside, there was you really felt fans cheering on um, from home, all, all their wrestling companies. They wanted to see them succeed. Um, I think there was uh, a lot of kind of disillusionment when you saw some companies do the wrong things in the pandemic, uh, uh, not take the proper precautions. And at the end of the day, it was that, again, you wanted to see them get through this and and thrive. Um, but, Kevin, on, on the topic of, of uh, uh, cinematic matches, um, I, I, you know, there were some that I, that I liked more, um, than others. I think the ones that, that kept, kept it within the parameters, um, of wrestling somewhat where we didn't stray too much in kind of the, the fantastical, uh, work. I think of the, the Gargano Ciampa match, which was just kind of a wrestling match, but shot in cinematic style. Uh, do you think some of this is, is here to stay and, and, uh, is that a good thing? Uh, yeah, no, I, I think that's a tool that's in the toolbox now. Um, and now that WWE has seen it can be done and that it will be, you know, popular to some extent, they're going to keep doing it. Um, to your point, some of these work better than others. I think the stadium stampede match was really fun, a little silly, but if you're okay with that, like I am, then it works. Um, and again, it was more just like, you know, an empty arena brawl, which I actually think the boneyard match, despite the really over the top ending with, you know, the murder, <laughs> some things can't be avoided. Um, I mean, but really that was a buried alive match is what it yeah. comes down to. No more ridiculous than that. Just a different setting. And and for the most part did, it was just a brawl. Um, so I think that worked. And I think, you know, going forward, it is something that's going to, uh, to be used, especially when, you know, and I mean, it, it, down the line, if there's something like this again, where, where there has to be, God forbid, you know, a quarantine or there's fans can't be in attendance for whatever reason. And, uh, you know, don't want to speculate, but it would, uh, it's a way that you can fill in some of the gaps. Um, and I think, you know, you're going to see WWE continue to do this, AEW do it, Impact to do it. I wouldn't expect, you know, the Ring of Honors to the world of the world to do it. I wouldn't ever think we'd see it over in New Japan, for example. But I think there's a place for it, and it's not to, to everyone's taste, and, and I mean, that's fine. Um, I mean, even something like, you know, it's a context a lot of times. So, like, if you look at some, and not just to offer my opinion on every single cinematic match, but something like the Firefly Funhouse match, which a lot of our staff just flat out hated. Um, Mike Bessler said it was one of his favorite things he watched all year, but Mike is a very, you know, different yeah, kind what of a shock. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, like, 
Um, I enjoyed it, um, but I think promoting it as a match was a mistake. I think as a segment, it would have been really cool um, because it was it's up my alley in terms of what I watch outside of wrestling. The question of whether that's what I want from WWE all the time, eh. So I, I think a lot of times it comes down to context and execution. I'll accept something and enjoy it under one circumstance, but then someone else does it in the wrong way and the wrong context, bad execution, then it's no good. You know, yeah. I mean, even something like the, all the deletion matches with Matt Hardy and impact. I hated those at first. I was really like, come on, like, what is this? This is ridiculous. Like I, I, I like some campy stuff sometimes in wrestling, but it's, you know, it, within the context of wrestling. And then like, I was just won over by it eventually because it was so well done. Um, and if you look at it as being, you know, I mean, are some of these things really that much more ridiculous than, than some of the backstage angles we've seen over the years, the ridiculous cliffhangers with, you know, raw going off, off the air with, I mean, you had Brian Pillman holding up Steve Austin at his house with a gun during, yeah. you know, a very popular run for WWE that so much stuff during the attitude era, um, crucifixions, all sorts of kidnappings, just really blowing up limousines. Blowing up, well, that was a little bit later, but yeah, blowing up. <laughs> um, so it's, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's not going to be to everybody's taste again, but I don't expect it to go away, especially not with world wrestling entertainment, realizing that this is a different way they can present the product. Yeah. Well, one thing that, um, again, in terms of innovation and some of this has to do with the cinematic uh, matches and, and some of it doesn't, but, um, Brian, you and I talked about this, you know, r really at, at the height of, of, um, that, well, I shouldn't say the height because we might be in the height right now, but, uh, in the early months, when you're talking April, May, before they really figured out how to get fans back in, um, to the arenas, the, the one thing that that, um, environment provided was, uh, this kind of lab settings for what could we do if we don't have fans here you know how much can we experiment and then we had something i mean what we had was post-production right i mean uh, raw and even pay-per-views even wrestlemania was taped in advance which is unthinkable right um and what that let them do is uh you know take a cinematic approach in in a different way not in terms of uh, presenting a match in a movie but almost producing it like a movie in terms of shooting it again, shooting a scene again and again and again and again until you have the take that you like. And what that gave us was Edge versus Randy Orton, the greatest match uh, of all time, you know, lest we forget the, that bit of hype early in the year, um, which was, you know, hyperbole behind hyperbole, but was also a really, really good match. And it was um, all that it was able uh, being able to to shoot uh, um, different uh, moves over and over again, pump in the the crowd reaction you want. Uh, it was imperfect. I'd, I'd almost like to see that done again now. You know, with everything that they've learned over the last six seven months. But um, one of my takeaways of 2020 was, you know, does wrestling always need to be uh, live? Brian, what do you think about that? Well, I think I, it's you mean well. Yeah, there's there's a difference between live and I guess in front of people. I, there's so much energy that a show derives from the live crowd. You know that that's the thing about pro wrestling that I think there are benefits certainly to having no one there, but I feel like the advantages outweigh the benefits. The advantages of having people there and the energy that they provide to the show and 
just the feel of making things feel more special than they are. You know, wrestling is about illusion. And a lot of people pointed this out who weren't even fans of wrestling. It sort of became a, a almost a mainstream news story of how weird wrestling looked without audiences. Like this was something that was being put out there on mainstream entertainment websites and things like that because it heightens the 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 kind of choreography of things when you you can hear everything and you can see everything. That was a hurdle they had to overcome in the beginning. And I think that they have overcome it. But what I like about the one thing that I really enjoy about not having a crowd there, and I still don't think it's enough of a justification to keep them away, but it's the subtlety of some things. Like you could never have done a lot of this Roman Reigns stuff with loud, noisy crowds because there's a lot of nuance to what they're doing. And pro wrestling character work and you know angles are not known for subtlety and nuance just because it's that traditional idea of whatever you do has to be projected for the people in the cheap seats right so it's like grand theater where everything is big and exaggerate you know even though you don't always need to do that anymore because you have tv close-ups and stuff but it's still it's that old school mentality of you have to make sure that the guy in the back row it knows exactly what the issue is between these two guys. That's not so much the case anymore, right? So the, these subtle things that they've done, the layered stuff with Roman and and the Usos and Heyman and like even Brian, I, oh. not to cut you not to cut you off, but I, I'd even go a step further and say that even if there were a way for people to like hear Roman, like if they projected it or something, Roman uh, whispering these things at, at Jay Uso the drama would not have gone uh, come across as well in front of a live audience. I think they would have grown impatient with it and crapped all over it. And then we would have lost this really good storyline yeah. that we now have. It became more of a TV product and less of a, of a live audience product. Totally. It's very possible that could have happened. And I think, you know, and, I, and I'm, I'm drawing a blank to come up with examples, but I, I feel like things like this have been attempted before to one degree or another but not really worked because the, it, you lose so much and you can't really hear what's being said and done. And it, and it just feels like uh, it, it, they're, they're reaching for something. Whereas this time they really, really were able to do it. Um, and, and it, and it, and it's unusual for wrestling. Like I said, I don't think wrestling needs to be as broad as it is in, in the days of, you know, real, of, of the, the way the technology is now for the audience at home, but it's just that mindset of live entertainment where everything has to be big. And, and the no crowds kind of got a, gave us a little break from that. So th- that's a positive for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's talk a bit about uh, some other companies. Um, you know, the, obviously you've, you've got AEW that really came into its own. You know, on one hand, their, their first full year, uh, and they started off with a bang. They got renewed, I think, for three more years in January when they were only a few months into their run uh, with Dynamite. And uh, you've certainly seen stars created in AEW over the year. Uh, we had a title change relatively early in the year with John Moxley, and, and Moxley went on uh, this huge run. Orange Cassidy uh, became kind of a breakout star in AEW. Uh, and it goes on and on. F- FTR uh, debuted. One, they had some terrific tag, some of the best tag team matches in recent history uh, in AEW. And um, Cody's done great work uh, on and on. Ratings have held pretty steady. They've uh, maybe too early to declare uh, a winner, but they have consistently beat NXT on Wednesday nights um, throughout the year. Um, 
what do you, uh, Harry? What do you make of uh, the the year AEW um, had? Is is it all good or, or kind of a mixed bag? I don't think it's a mixed bag. I mean, it's so tremendous that a company out of the shoot has had such a successful first complete year. It's really amazing, and uh, I'm really excited about this current angle uh, with uh, Kenny Omega, AEW champion, going over to Impact Wrestling. Um, that's probably the outside of WWE equivalent to the Roman Reigns angle where you look at wrestling a little bit differently. Um, so what, what would, what were their latest uh, viewing numbers? Like uh, over 900,000 viewers for the, for the, the, uh, the big special with Sting's debut. Right. Uh, yeah, right. It over 900. It was the best number um, certainly of the, of the pandemic era. Yeah. Right. Right. Because when they started out, their very first episode was over a million um, so if you could uh, have an AEW like flirting with a million viewers uh, every week, th- that would be tremendous. And also when you watch Impact Wrestling, how the AEW world champion is treated, it's almost like that champion is the champion outside of WWE. Like you, we have, have two different universes and I can almost see other promotions kind of jumping on board and recognizing the AEW title as a world title. Um, so people have asked, you know, what's the benefit to AEW of this recent angle? I think that's one of them that it's portraying itself as the, you know, number one outside WWE, because even on the impact wrestling broadcast, they allude to it as such. Yeah. Um, Now there were some things in AEW. I, I haven't really quite understood the dark order. You know, and the the fact that they're still around in their current form, I've I've had difficulty with that. Um, but it's hard to nitpick. It's hard to nitpick a company to do this much so soon. So I won't be so much of a critic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and certainly some of the uh, the stuff that WWE sometimes gets uh, flack for in terms of uh, comedy and uh, again the, the the cinematic kind of uh, presentations. Uh, AEW has sometimes gone even further than WWE has, and not everybody's loved it. I mean, I think back to to Jericho and, and MJF having their little uh, <laughs> song and dance uh, skit, um, mixed reviews uh, on that one. Uh, but Kevin, I mean, uh, as editor in chief here, you know, to some uh, extent, you're, you're sort of the arbiter on on what is a a major wrestling company and uh, not. I mean, we we designate who who deserves a world title. Uh, designation and and doesn't um, th- does it feel, did it feel like in in 2020 AEW absolutely arrived and um, you know is there a big two right now in the United States like there was 20 years ago with with um, WCW right um, so I mean they're not at the level WCW was in 1996 yet I mean they're they're, they're simply not they're not week to week I mean they're not beating Raw. Like they had some demographic victories over Yeah, no, a couple of weeks uh, last week, the week before. Um, but you know, consistently, just not the presence WWE is yet. Uh, however, I mean, the closest we've had, even when you had Impact as TNA with throwing everything they had at WWE, when you had Hulk Hogan. Uh, show up yet Eric Bischoff all these stars there all this money behind it they might have even had a higher rating a couple of times 
but it wasn't consistent. It fell away pretty quickly. And the product just wasn't up to that same standard, even if they did have the ratings. Um, so I think it is closer than we've had. And I think just the fact that it is doing so well speaks to a couple of things. And one is, I mean, let's be honest, they have a lot of funding behind it. Um, if you look online, we're being funded by AEW <laughs> as well. Tony Khan's paying for all this, uh, which uh, news to me. Uh, but it's that does not hurt. But I think there's also just this fact, this desire to see this exciting wrestling product that is the best wrestling can be. And is AEW perfect? Not by a long shot. There's a lot of problems there, like with any uh, any promotion, even though they do so many things well. I shouldn't say a lot of problems, but there are some notable problems. The women's division needs a lot of work, and there are good wrestlers there, so I don't buy that. I don't think it's that people aren't ready. I think, I think it's the booking. Um, but then so, you look at something like the tag division, which is fantastic. They have a solid upper mid card. Their main event's great. So they do a lot of things very well. Um, you know, the match quality has been great. It feels like, you know, there are some instances where I feel it apes the WWE style a little bit too much. And, you know, just simple things like production. I mean, I, I tweeted earlier today about the music. Does every theme song from every wrestling show have to sound like an, a late nineties new metal song? Like the, <laughs> yeah. it, it just feels very dated. Um, like it or whether you like that style of music or not, it is, there's a perception that that's old and it makes something look old when it, when it does it. Um, but again, so many things are being done well. And I think they are filling that, that hunger that fans have had for this kind of product for so long. I, I always think back, uh, I believe Conan said it on his podcast way. And I mean, he's had a few different podcasts. This is many iterations ago. It might've been the WrestleZone podcast something like that. Um, but he said, you know, wrestling fans always seem to be so miserable and like why they spend so much time talking about wrestling, but really they're talking about how much they don't like what they're seeing on TV. And I think it's easy to fall into that trap, especially when you're not seeing what you want and you know, a company can do better. And he said that ultimately he thinks the reason that people watch is because they remember when wrestling was really great. And they think of those moments when oh, this is the best thing I could possibly watch. This is the most, the best form of, uh, you know, sports, entertainment, anything. Um, and it makes me happy. And they're kind of chasing that, that, that high the whole time. Um, and I think the AEW having this weight behind it, having this money behind it, this investment in it, and all these, again, all these wrestlers just so eager to be a part of it. There's this belief that that product can exist and that in a way it's already does exist. And I think that's why so early on you have such consistently strong ratings for it. Again, even if it's not up to 96, 97 WCW levels, no show gets those ratings anymore. Yeah. You know, I mean, and yes, there are absolutely arguments to be made that wrestling has taken more of a hit than other types of, cause there are still, you know, uh, low rated sitcoms will still get more than a million viewers per week, but we're looking at a pop culture landscape where there are more options than there have ever been before. It's far more competitive. People don't watch TV in the same way. So while it's important to keep an eye on these ratings and it can be an indicator of success, it's not the whole picture. Um, and I think a company that's not WWE consistently getting now close to a million, I think it's in the 990 or maybe not 990,000, but 940,000 every week. That's, that's nothing to sneeze at. 
Yeah, yeah, it, it's uh, uh, remarkable and even more remarkable. I mean, WWE, what they were able to pull off in the pandemic, uh, certainly impressive. Uh, but then you have to understand all, all the, the decades of of a head start they've had in terms of resources and mm-hmm. infrastructure. AW is not even uh, a year old and that they were able to have the the year that they had in 2020 with everything being thrown for a loop, right? I mean, they had plans for, I had tickets for, um, what do they call it? Blood and Guts was their their version of War mm-hmm. Games at in, in Newark and New Jersey. It was supposed to be one of their biggest shows of the year and got canceled. Everything was canceled, right? So their year was uh, completely thrown out the window. They had to kind of um, uh, quickly put something together, um, mm-hmm. landed on, uh, what's it called? Daly's Place? Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. and, uh, ran everything out of there. Um, you know, they were the first to to put some some wrestlers in in the audience to kind of simulate a crowd uh, reaction. Got some mixed reviews for that. I mean, you could question the, um, the the safety of some of that, and and then later in the year brought back actual fans. Um, but that they were able to have the year that they did, big signings, creating stars, having great matches, having destination pay per views. In the middle of a pandemic, not even being uh, a year old, uh, I, I think it, it's abs- an absolute win. Uh, mm-hmm. Brian, even though you and I, throughout the year, we've talked about how, and again, some of this is sort of generational. We haven't loved everything that they do. So sometimes uh, it, it does feel like their presentation is targeting uh, a very much a younger demographic. That's good. That's working for them. That's probably uh, the right way to go. But but it also, um, I, I, I don't know that, that uh, it, it uh, works with everyone. I mean, I certainly, a lot of the matches that I, that I saw get these six, seven, 18 star ratings throughout the year, <laughs> I watched and was like, all right, enough. You know, does this match really need to be 48 minutes long with 125 uh, near falls? Uh, but but Brian, what, what did you think of, of um, you know, are, are, are you as gung-ho on, on AEW as everybody else here? Well, here's the thing. You have to remember, too, that when we were kids watching, they were also marketing it to kids, except yeah. it just happened to be us at that time. That they right. Were yes. It to. And I say this a lot about things like Star Wars, too, and stuff like that. When you get these 40 year old men that are all like up in arms, it's like, dude, let the 11 year olds enjoy yeah. this, please. Just let them enjoy this. <laughs> so I try not to get too caught up. I mean, I know a lot of what we do is to criticize, but there's two, I have two thoughts about this. One is that, you know, um, I've been watching stuff for so long in my life that it gives me more perspective. You know, I feel this way about Saturday Night Live, too, which I've been watching about as long as I've been watching wrestling, about 35 years now. And I'm like, you know, I can remember basically the entire time that I've been a fan of both of those things. There has been a large segment of the fan base saying that it sucks. And that it's not as good as it as it was now. And now you I'd have like to do like a side SNL podcast with you. It's like, <laughs> well, be because because the thing about it is, I don't want to just talk about SNL, but it's the same yeah. as wrestling, where now you have people going, "Oh my God, yes!" During the you know Phil Hartman uh, years, uh, Dana Carvey, or, or or when 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 Chris Farley was on the show, and I'm one of those people. I'll say, "Oh, the late '80s or early '90s, that was the best time yeah. ever for SNL," but there were people watching it then large numbers of people that were saying this show has not been good in 15 years. Right. They were saying it then. It's the same thing about wrestling. You know, I was working for WWE at the tail end of the attitude era and there were people, you know, everybody now is like, Oh, that's when wrestling was great. 
every they were there was large segments i would say like half the fans then were like this is garbage this is terrible <laughs> it was so much better when when you know you had rick flair and hulk hogan and the four horsemen and, and it's always been like that you know so i think we have to have a little perspective like if you listen to all those people then none of this stuff has ever been good but the other side of it is i also have had to separate and i've said this before what i enjoy and what's good for business like you have to separate those two things especially the longer you watch and the more you kind of take an interest in the business end of things i know what i love about wrestling for me personally my favorite thing it's not the only thing i love my favorite thing has always been the suspension of disbelief and the fascinating thing about wrestling being like this sport that's not a sport it's sort of like apes being a sport and it, and you're trying to think, well, what's real and what's not real? What is it? like those are the things I've always loved about wrestling. So that's why sometimes the more artificial stuff turns me off. But by the same token, I have to acknowledge what draws, <laughs> what makes money, what what people like to see, what gets ratings, and that's why I've always and and Meltzer too, and you know, reading him over the years has opened my eyes up to that too, where you have to step back sometimes and say. This is what is this is what people want to see. And if you just listen to, you know, the Ole Andersons of the world or the Jim Cornettes of the world who, you know, I, I may agree with them on some things. Sometimes you may go out of business listening to those people because you have to think about what's going to make money. And, and so like, I think that gives me a little perspective. I know that wasn't all about AEW, but I mean, it's I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's a lot. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's interesting contrasting that against what we saw from the NWA uh, uh, this year and, and not to spend too much time on the NWA because, you know, they, they, they didn't have that uh, a big a place in wrestling, certainly after um, of the pandemic. But but uh, uh, Harry, I'd be interested in, in your thoughts. How much room is there in, in a world like uh, where we have AEW and where they're really kind of pushing the product ahead? WWE is also kind of trying to uh, to reinvent uh, what what wrestling is, um, I, I'd say in the wrong direction in a lot of ways. But then uh, for some old fogies like us, here comes um, the NWA, which ah. is just sort of unabashed uh, uh, nostalgia. And uh, again, just 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 catering to, to the old farts, exaggerating somewhat because they actually helped develop a lot of uh, new talent that now you're seeing oh, this, this break out in AEW. This is dangerous territory teeing for the NWA. We could oh, my gosh. That. You know, that's when I realized wrestling had all 31 flavors of ice cream. Yeah. We had everything. And it, it, I loved it so much that I was, I was like, this is too good to be true. You know, now you're bringing back the NWA World Television title. It's like identical. Like, I don't even think they straightened up like the copyright issues. Didn't it still say <laughs> CBS, ABC, NBC on the plate? <laughs> it did, um, yeah. But... If I can critique the NWA just a little bit since you brought them up, uh, and this was especially true when we sort of entered the pandemic, where it sort of became a tongue-in-cheek parody of what the NWA used to be, yeah. a little bit too much comedy. Uh, so in a perfect world, I would have loved the NWA even better if they had played it completely straight. Yeah, you know, more Nick like Aldis, less... Um, the question mark and uh, uh, Aaron Stevens and, and some of the. Yeah, the maybe the degree. You know, I love the question mark. Um, 
as a concept. Maybe, maybe just maybe just a question mark. I did think Aaron Stevens was overly cowardly, overly comedic. And, you know, then you throw in the fact he's the national heavyweight champion and he's behaving this way. He's trying to do karate. It was a little bit too much at once. And uh, so if, if NWA power ever comes back, you know, I'd like to see a little bit more of a serious approach there. It's it's really such a heartbreaker. I mean, of of every uh, all the ramifications of the pandemic, I think that's been at least personally one of the hardest for me as a, as a wrestling fan is um, that a that uh, NWA was just stopped in its tracks. Because remember, they were building toward um, the 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 Marty Skrull Nick Aldis match, and with incredible set of promos that that they had leading up to that match, um, the, the high stakes match that they were they, they had uh, booked. Um, uh, the biggest arena uh, I think they've had uh, to date for for the Crockett Cup show, and you know all of it just just up in um, uh, thin air. Um, uh, speaking of of Marty Scroll, maybe a, a good transition to the next topic. Some some of the more unpleasant things that we dealt with Kevin in um, 2021 for sure was uh, the, uh, the the problem raised by uh, a lot of women wrestling about sexual improprieties uh, by. Uh, mostly men wrestlers, male wrestlers, but uh, there were some accusations the other way to um, how, how much of a stain was that on wrestling uh, in 2020 and, and how, how much of it has been resolved? How, how, how uh, much in a better place are we now than when some of these allegations came to light earlier in the year? Yeah. So it's, I want to be careful talking about this because from a legal standpoint, you know, these are allegations until they're proven in court. I happen to believe a lot of these allegations um, could even say most of these uh, 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 allegations, but um, you know, legally speaking, they are just that right now. Um, I will say just from a practical business standpoint, I mean, you mentioned the Crockett cup being canceled because of COVID and that is true, but the NWA really kind of temporarily at least dissolved after Dave Lagana was named in the speaking out movement. And I mean, it's rebounded a little bit since they have the shockwave program, which pulls from the UWN program, which is, you know, it's, it's part NWA, but it's also, it also draws a lot of talent from championship wrestling from Hollywood and uh, it's, and uh, Las Vegas. Um, so you have practical ramifications like that. You have someone like Marty Skrull who, though not released by Ring of Honor, also hasn't been appearing on the show. No, he's MIA. Completely. Yeah, he'll, he'll be in a video package maybe in passing, but I mean, he's not in the ring. Um, you know, and I mean, even just from a practical standpoint, I know that this, this movement began when we were smack in the middle of the, the PWI 500. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had to figure out how to do that. And we ultimately kind of landed on, well, if somebody's still with the company, we presume they, their job is safe and they're going to be pushed and we're going to leave them in there for now. And then if somebody was like, oh, well, we don't know if they're going to work. We kind of treated it as like the, the you know, if a wrestler was in, uh, suffering from a long-term injury and we didn't know when they were going to come back, a lot of times we'll give them sort of an incomplete and not rank them. And that's, that's sort of what we did. Um, was that the right way to do it? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I look, you know, even editing our year end issue, I, I grapple with, well, should we phrase this differently? You have to be very careful. And I mean, because it is such a sensitive topic, there are legal ramifications around it, but I think, you know, more important than that, it's, it's very upsetting and triggering topic for survivors. So, 
Um, do I think anything has really changed because of it? I mean, that's tough. Short term, you had people lose jobs. Some people came back to work, some and even, you know, big companies. Some haven't yet. Um, some other people were let go from some jobs only to, to show up on the independent circuit or try to resurrect their brand some other way. And, you know, they'll face pushback around it, but it's a question of how long that will last. Um, because if ultimately, if somebody is on, you know, one of the, or uh, attached to one of these big promotions, you know, fans aren't, some fans will stop watching, but most won't. Yeah. So I, I think it's hard outside of legal culpability. And in some of these situations, it's, it's going to be maybe hard to get that. And I mean, there, there's a whole separate conversation about how uh, courts are not necessarily friendly to uh, survivors to begin with, you know, it's difficult for someone if they're in lacking physical evidence, it's difficult for them to have their, their case heard, you know um, you know what I mean? It's, it's, I don't know. I, I think it's difficult to say what this would mean going forward. And I don't, I don't know that I'm qualified to say it, but I, uh, you know, I, I think it was necessary. It's good that it happened. Um, and we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the other major uh, social issue in 2020 that I, I do think uh, uh, bled into the product on TV was the whole reckoning on uh, racial uh, injustice. Uh, uh, Brian, I'll, I'll ask you uh, about that. How much of uh, that do you think did have uh, an effect in, in what we saw? And, um, you know, some of it seemed to be dealt with more behind the scenes than uh, on television, but in in here late in 2020, um, I do think you see more African-American performers uh, highlighted than than early in 2020 or even 2019. I mean, you see now Impact's got a black uh, world champion. Um, you see in WWE, you see uh, the Street Profits holding the tag titles almost all year long. You see Big E getting a big push over an AW. You see uh, Will Hobbs uh, get elevated kind of out of uh, nowhere. Um, so... Do you think there's been some course correction by uh, wrestling companies um, because of, of what came to light over the year? Definitely more than we've seen, which I think says a lot because. You know, and, and I'm sorry, I bring up the hurt. Uh, the hurt business is also a big one in, in WWE, a, a major act that that uh, arose during the year after all this. Yeah. And they're a great example because of, of the change, because what I love about them is that they're not any kind of real stereotype other than the wrestlers are stereotypes, right? But it's but it's not a racial stereotype. You know, you could see that faction being a bunch of white guys or a bunch of, you know, guys of all different races. They just happen to be black. And I think that's when you really can tell that something's changing because it's the same thing that I've often said about movies, you know, where people talk about how there's not enough representation. And when you do, I, I think... We, we've crossed the line in a good way when you start to see movies where the characters just happen to be black. You right. know, not, they're not gangsters. They're not slaves. They're not historical black figures. It's just a, the guy happens to be black and, and it has nothing to do with the story. That's when you're talking about real change. And I think you're actually starting to see that in wrestling, which I, I honestly ne never thought we'd see because in a lot of ways, 
it can be so backwards on things like this or or really, really behind the times. We even used to joke in the office that wrestling culturally is like 10 years behind the times, mm. you know, like like the Dudleys were doing the what's up thing, yes. like 10 years <laughs> after that was a thing. Right. Yeah. Like, like things like that. Wrestling is, is behind. And even in this, they're behind. Let's be honest here. But 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 they are trying to catch up. Um, and it's and it's like with anything else, uh, w- what finally makes the difference is money, right? The fear that you're going to lose, that you're you're pissing off so much of your audience that it's going to hurt your business, and and that's what makes change happen. Unfortunately, it has to come to that. But whatever the reasons, um, I've been liking what I've been seeing. You know, you know, seeing things happening um, in a positive way. Uh, just the fact, I mean, God, I mean. The, the exchange between Biggie and The Miz on, I forget what it was, Talking Smack or one of those shows where, you know, it felt very real. I mean, I, I'm very cynical when it comes to wrestling. I don't know how much of that was worked or scripted where you have Biggie, where, where you have The Miz saying, like, all you have to do is work hard. You know, that classic, like, privileged white guy thing. And Miz saying, wait, 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 hold, hold on a second. It's very easy for you to say. And it's almost like he was saying, without saying it, he was saying, hey, Miz, if you were black, you would not be here right now, given like your skill set and your talent, like you, you would have to work a lot harder to be who you are. That was kind of like the message that was being put out there. And the fact that that was allowed on the air and not only allowed, but acknowledged and that they played it up and it was put on social media, um, I thought was very refreshing. I really hope it wasn't a work. I hope it was an organic conversation. But even if it wasn't, the fact that they let it go, that they let it happen and didn't try to hide it is a huge thing. And I, you guys know the the exchange I'm talking yes. about, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I do think that was sincere. I don't think that was, right. if only because I don't think that that program is even on Vince McMahon's radar. So that's uh, probably well, that's probably why it happened. Honestly. Yeah, yeah. Well, there uh, is that. It's implicit too in the the Sasha, Sasha Banks and Carmella feud. Although some of that with them is also that Sasha Banks is a wrestler's wrestler, came up through the independents, and Carmella was you know a performance set of product. But but there's a certain amount of hey, I was just given this, and I and I, and I'm lucky, and you have to work for everything. So even if the the Biggie and Miz conversation was organic, which it probably was. Um, they're tapping into some of that same energy. And I think as long as it's, you know, done appropriately and not, you know, doesn't, doesn't become, you know, offensive and punching down. I think it's, you know, it's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I agree. I think it's really heartening to see, uh, and, and, and they still have a ways to go as, as uh, do all of us uh, in addressing some of this, but you think about how um, this would have been dealt with a few years ago. If there was this reckoning, uh, I think Vince McMahon would have looked around and say, all right, who's black? You, you're the new world champion, right? And and um, th- that would have been the wrong way to do it. And yeah. you, you see the way it, it's worked now is it's there's been a real recognition of, all right, who has maybe not gotten the breaks that they deserved? Who, who, who has everything, brings everything to the table, but maybe we've overlooked for the wrong reasons. And then you see a biggie who I think a lot of people have seen something in for years and years and years, even maybe predating the new day when he was just kind of the muscle for, for Dolph Ziggler. You see this huge imposing guy with Supposedly, even back then Vince was huge on him at that point. Yeah. But, but what became of that? Right. Yeah. Um, or, or, or the hurt business is a great example because you look at everybody who is in that, right. I mean, yes. th- there's a, a, a whole story there, maybe with the exception of Lashley, who's, who has gotten a lot of breaks, but Cedric Alexander and MVP and Shelton Benjamin, who's, you know, a lot of these guys are in the, 
three of those guys are in their 40s now, right? Yeah. Um, and a, a lot of uh, missed opportunity and wasted time. Um, you know, I watching uh, Cedric Alexander, who, who I've liked, I got to interview him for the magazine a couple years ago when he was Cruiserweight champion, and it, and it meant a little more to be a Cruiserweight champion. And I was just so super impressed with the guy, everything about him. I mean, just, just such a consummate professional and great in the ring and could talk and has some charisma, uh, all that. I mean, smaller, and that's always been an issue, but um, checks so many of the boxes and you just see him floundering, doing nothing. And now you see him looking sharp with the suit, having this, this attitude, tagging himself in to, to um, you know, get the pin. It's great. Um, and, and, uh, you know, the Herpuses in general, I think, really have been one of the the, the great breakout acts of uh, WWE of the year. And I think as you touched on, Brian, I remember when, when the rumors first started coming out that that this group was coming together. And and you remember what the reports were is that there was going to be a new nation of domination. That's what what um, was coming out like uh, WWE is thinking about kind of get a new take on the nation of domination. And um, that's not at all what it was. Right. As you touched on, I mean, it. it the fact that they're and, and it's not that it it doesn't matter that they're black because it does it adds something to to the um to the act right um to see four badass tough well-dressed black professionals um and i and i even like that they were made heels because it's not sort of like this pandering uh, kind of thing but it was just like Take these guys seriously. Um, you know, for, for as terrible as the retribution angle was, I loved when it was um, the Hurt Business that kind of stepped in and said, you know what, we got this. And they went in there and they, they cleaned house. I mean, it was one of the highlights uh, of, a, of a terrible angle and kind of a bad year. So, um, you know, kudos to WWE. Um, and, and actually, uh, uh, AEW's gotten, in some ways, more of a bad rap uh, here than uh, than WWE. I think in part because they've, they've put themselves out so much about being the prog- progressive wrestling company. Mm-hmm. And then you, you look at the, um, you know, who's in the top spots there and there is, you know, some, some diversity, uh, but you didn't see a lot of African-American faces uh, in, in that top mix. I think they're, they're trying to course correct some of that. Right. Uh, uh, Harry, I'll, I'll ask you, you know, you've yeah. been watching uh, uh, for, for a long time. Uh, what do you think uh, of the job uh, AEW has done addressing some of this and, and, and wrestling in, in general, the wrestling business? Yeah, I mean, I think of what Brian said about how wrestling has been uh, traditionally backward looking, um, but wrestling is also uniquely able to pivot than other industries. You know, you look at Hollywood and how they're trying to get more people of color in leading roles in, in movies. And it's harder for them to do because at least in wrestling, you know, the scripted nature of it and the personalities we're talking about are already familiar to us. So it's not that much of a stretch to see Rich Swan progress to being the impact wrestling champion or Big E to get the main event push. Because like you say, he's been around for years. So it's felt a lot more natural in wrestling, uh, more so probably than Hollywood or Madison Avenue. Um, I was just thinking that accepting Rich Swan as a main eventer was a lot easier for me to take than say taking a Bradshaw going to JBL seriously at yeah. the time. Um, and I, I think of like, you know, the horrible history in wrestling, you know, Burhead Jones, Pork Chop Cash. Oh my gosh. You know how far we've come now, AEW, you know, precisely for the reason that you said it touted itself as, you know, being a, a proponent of diversity in wrestling, but it's, it's been, um, 
falling back a little bit, you know, our, our friend Duke from the Duke loves wrestling podcast. He's on their case, case every single day about this. Um, but again, I guess it's a matter of patience, you know, just give them a little more time, but they are a step behind. They're a step behind WWE and, um, maybe even impact. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, um, they've taken a lot of these steps to really bold in, uh, in, in the presentation of diversity that they kind of missed a big part of it. Right. So they have, you know, a transgender, a female champion, and they've got uh, native American stars and they've got an act like a uh, sunny kiss. Um, and in, in the meantime, it's like, well, you also don't have a whole lot of, you know, black faces there in your, in your uh, top fi- top mix. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, it gets harder and harder to get away with that just because we know that the talent is there. You know, you, you see um, uh, terrific talent. You know, w- one to mention, and maybe this is a, a transition, a Ring of Honor, uh, you know, they've, between Jay Lethal and Jonathan Greshman and and uh, uh, Shane Taylor, um, you know, they're doing an okay job too. And and, and maybe um, in some ways before some of these other wrestling companies were, were ahead of them. You know, Jay Lethal has been their top guy for a number of years now, less so in the last couple of years, but, um, and, and it's, I don't know if folks even noticed, right? Um, so, so uh, Kevin, how about all, everybody else? So, you know, not to spend too much time, but uh, uh, Impact, Ring of Honor, both struggled in, in unlike AEW and WWE and even New Japan, you know, the companies with bigger resources, um, they, they're, they're still playing in front of uh, crickets, right? And Ring of Honor just had the biggest show of the year, final battle. And uh, I know Harry, you said it, it, uh, it didn't bother you too much. I still very much notice it. I, I you know, I, I, I think it hurts when you, ha- you know, I, I think it's hard to put on a match that has a big match feel when it is just uh, a pin drop quiet. Um, you know, what, what do you think? Uh, on, on the other side of that is just looking objectively at the product, both Impact and Ring of Honor, um, and Ring of Honor being shut down a lot of the year, but what they've put on, I think, has been pretty well received, and and um, they they've had a good product. Impact in particular, I think, had um, a, a pretty good year, even if the numbers aren't really there to to back that up too much. Um, what do you think of the job those two did in in twenty twenty? So, yeah, I mean, I think they both made some some strides and did some. I will say both of those companies were very careful. So Impact um, kept, actually never really stopped. So Impact taped a bunch of shows ahead of time, but they never really uh, didn't have a new product to put out. And part of that is because of this, you know, they tape in bulk. Um, And obviously they've had to tape without an audience, but you can see that they're really careful about it. They tend to have, you know, the same people at the tapings and, and have people work bunch of different matches they'll bring somebody in for a few weeks and then they you know they won't necessarily be there again but it's it's probably partly to to limit the amount of people who are there um no live crowd and yeah it's a little off-putting at first um especially because um you know you're used to seeing it as as something different and maybe you don't have that big visible crowd who's in every shot the way you do in wwe but, you know, that crowd noise was important and it was noticeable at first. Um, and just, you know, from some of uh, so many of the wrestlers have said, there's this shock of like, I, I think Brian Myers told you in your conversation, taking that first bump without a crowd to, to react to it and give you that shot of adrenaline to, to rebound from it. Um, but I think some of that is compensated for an impact because they've done some of these, you know, backstage segments. I think the Wrestle House stuff 
very over the top, but I think it was at least very well written and well executed. So I enjoyed it. Um, and I think Josh Matthews and Madison rain have stepped up in a big way as commentators. Uh, they're a little more in your face style. And I know some people are not so into that. They would prefer wrestling commentators to lay back a little more, but I think it's really done a good job of covering for that lack of crowd, just having that, uh, you know, constant storytelling going on. Um, and impact really did turn a corner this year because you have, you know, a product that you always say that TNA stink on it. Um, but around Slammiversary, the tides started to turn a little bit. And I know we've talked about it even on this podcast before you and I, but uh, it's, it really has improved quite a bit. Um, they're doing a lot of things well. The, you know, the knockouts division is, is fantastic. The tag team division has improved quite a bit. The North were a, a big part in that. And then, of course, you have uh, Rich Swan and a lot of other singles competitors stepping up during this time. Willie Mack earlier on in the period. Um, Rohit Raju as X Division champ. Uh, TJP and that's, you know, in that same regard and Chris Bay. So lots of things to like there. And then Ring of Honor um, arguably has been the safest and most careful out of anybody. Mm-hmm. It had that bubble. Uh, I know Joe Coff came on the podcast and, and talked to you about about that a while back, that they really wanted to make sure they were safe to return before they returned. They did come back a little bit before MLW did, um, so they weren't the very last to come back as far as the the uh, major independent promotions and the, or excuse me, the major promotions in the U.S. go. Um, but uh, then you look at, on top of that, they had people advertised for that card. I mean, they had EC3 advertised. They had a six-man tag title match advertised. Matches that they ver- if they were less scrupulous, they could have very well gone ahead with. Um, but they canceled them. And they did so because it wasn't safe. I don't even think all those people had, maybe they were exposed or they were asymptomatic. But I mean, they were they knew this because they were testing all the time. And they were requiring people to quarantine. And I mean, they really should be applauded for that. And then you have something, uh, I know Harry was a big fan of the the pure title coming back. And that's been a big focus of their programming and them setting themselves as this more sports-like presentation that AEW supposedly was going to be doing, but it's, you know, hit and miss whether they actually do that. And then Final Battle, I thought was a great show. Um, I made sure to catch that one live. I thought it was very entertaining. Um you know, it wasn't straight sports-like presentation. I mean, you had the, the Brian Johnson, Dan Housen match, was, which sort of had the pull, push and pull there and, and a little bit of silliness attached to it. Um, you know, some fun had throughout. You had uh, Dalton Castle, not so much in the ring, in the ring he's business, but his his presentation, you know. So, and then, of course, you have PCO, who's just wild. <laughs> so I think they have a nice balance, and I think there's a lot to like about Ring of Honor. Uh, I'm really curious to see what they do and. 2021 and and i really should single out too since since he was mentioned earlier jonathan gresham man he has had despite the pandemic despite being inactive for a while he's incredible one of the best technical wrestlers on the planet right now i think and a dual champion in ring of honor which uh you know the big things from him in 2021 i think so let's talk a bit about uh 2021 um uh, brian um what are you looking forward to how much optimism um, do you have, I mean, obviously some of this is going to depend on some things completely out of the control of, of any wrestling, uh, promotion, um, as far as the pandemic goes. Uh, but 
are you, are you optimistic that 2021, 2021 is going to be uh, an improvement over 2020? Well, I'll tell you, I was feeling more optimistic until Harry brought me down before by saying that we'll be in the same boat a year from now. Uh, so I'm trying to regroup from that. Um, no, but I, I mean, the reality is that that could very well be the case. I, I'm hoping that 2021 isn't just going to be like 2020 part two. You know, everybody, because we have this sort of fake you know, psychological game we play where we think like January 1st, we're in like a different realm. It's it's just <laughs> the next day, right? Let, let's not get too carried away. And I'm hoping that things get better. I, I mean, I, I, I do agree that, uh, you know, maybe, I'm going to say maybe by next fall, maybe we could have, you know, live crowds again. That's kind of what I'm hoping. Uh, but I mean, uh, the reality of vaccines and the way they work and all that and you know, I, unlike many people, do not consider myself to be a, a you know, microbiologist based on watching YouTube. <laughs> so I can't really say I'm going to let the experts decide that. But there are things that I'm hopeful about from a creative standpoint. I love the impact and AEW crossover, and I hope it's a sign of things to come. I mean, I'm hoping that it gains momentum and there's I, I'm really hoping that you know, uh, you'll wind up with WWE and then the rest of the wrestling universe, almost like a Marvel Cinematic Universe thing happening with other companies coming on board. I mean, how amazing would it be if they were able to create something like that where where it's like WWE versus the rest of the wrestling business? So WWE is DC in this scenario? I guess guess so. Yeah, I guess they would be. I mean, somebody had somebody posted this meme that was hilarious where it was like the end of Avengers Endgame. Where at where you know Vince McMahon or WWE is Thanos and all the other characters popping up is like it's like Ring of Honor, New Japan, Impact, uh, AEW, and I mean, uh, not that I'm saying that's going to happen, but I, I love this idea of cooperation between the promotions. I hope we see more of that. I hope we see the creative team at WWE taking their lead from things like the Hurt Business and Roman Reigns, Tribal Chief. You know, and and that's seeing things that actually work and, and getting some freedom. I do think that they're stuck in the sense that, like, they're kind of stuck with Vince McMahon. I mean, I hate to put too fine a point on it, but 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 as long as, you know, if he's able to say, I trust people to run this thing and things are working that I may not like, if he's able to make that leap that I made, <laughs> things are working creatively, even though I don't like them. So I'm going to let them go on. Then, then I think you could be seeing a, a turnaround year for WWE, hopefully. Um, we'll just have to wait and see, I guess. That's all I can yeah. say. Yeah. What, what's discouraging um, right now is that NXT uh, is not setting the world uh, on fire, right? So I think for so long, the hope right. was that NXT would continue growing and thriving and uh, be providing evidence for why it, it was time for a different vision um, and, and maybe to move Triple H into that role where he is the vision for, for WWE. Uh, but now, you know, with them losing consistently week in and week out against AEW, it becomes harder to make that case. And it almost sort of like uh, bolsters Vince McMahon's position um, as, as the vision for, for WWE proper for Raw and SmackDown. Uh, because NXT is not doing that well either, and then and a lot of the call ups, and this is not their fault at all. But but you know you hear stories about them bringing up um, uh, Keith Lee 
uh, another, uh, by the way, terrific African-American performer who, who uh, more than deserved uh, a shot uh, this year. But you hear him, you know, sending him back to get more experience because maybe um, his, his conditioning is, is not where he would want it to be. Uh, and it's discouraging and, and it sort of removes hope for that next chapter, for WWE turning that corner and, and, and the shakeup that I think a lot of fans um, think is needed. Uh, Harry, how about you? How much optimism um, do you have about 2021 being uh, much different or, or better than 2020? I think 2021 will be the same, but much better because now we've had uh, almost a year's practice, you know, operating in a pandemic. I think uh, a key moment will be the next WrestleMania, you know, comparing that to uh, WrestleMania 36 and to see the advances they've made, even though this year's WrestleMania was mighty impressive considering that was one of the first major events out of the gate uh, during all this. Um, so I think in that sense, it'll be much better. Um, as far as crowds, like I said before, I don't think we'll be seeing big crowds, but maybe, you know, if we can do like uh, 75, a hundred people, that'll be something. I think it'd be more than that. I mean, AEW is yeah. doing more than that now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So if that happens, you know, maybe we'll kind of lose this thing that we're wa watching wrestling that's not really wrestling it's something else in the meantime um but I, I really have high hopes for 2022 i just feel like you know we're just like just heating up and at that moment 2022. so you're skipping 2022. A year. <laughs> I'm, I'm already forget i'm already <laughs> moved past 2021 and that's what i'm really keyed up for what, what do you think wrestlemania looks like uh, I, I mean there was so much talk about that i remember with brian and i um in the weeks leading up to this year's wrestlemania because it was unthinkable that you would do it in like an empty um, uh, arena uh, now because some things have changed is it just a Thunderdome Wrestlemania um, do you expect that that there'll be you know a few thousand fans there I think it'll be something different I don't think it'll be in the Thunderdome it'll be in the Super Thunderdome <laughs> something <laughs> like that I think it's going to be something we're going to marvel at because they've had well over a year to get used to this environment and they've got plenty of experience so I'm looking forward to it this year even though I have to admit Wrestlemania 36 I had to watch it in bits and pieces. I was still traumatized. I could not watch, you know, two nights, you know, under those conditions. But I think that this WrestleMania coming up would be much different. Are, are there um, any obvious matches that you think um, we'll see at WrestleMania? Well, I guess uh, as much as I want to see the bloodline come together, yeah. you know, it, it could be Roman Reigns versus Jey Uso. I mean, you're talking do you so? not the, do you think Roman Reigns versus the rock is out of the question? Um, I, I have a hard I, time seeing them do it in, in an empty environment. Arena. Yeah. I think just only, only for that reason yeah. that, that, that is a stadium event with a uh, hundred thousand people there truly. And if you give Roman another year to kind of cement this character, here we go. 2022 again. Maybe that's the marquee match, even though by that time, Dwayne Johnson, he'll be about the, over 50 years old, <laughs> willing to do that. Yeah. Um, Kevin, uh, uh, it's worth also talking about uh, the year for Pro Wrestling Illustrated, right? So it, it uh, we've talked so much about um, wrestling, and it was also a huge year for us. Um, and uh, thankfully, most of the news um, was, was positive news, but of course, for the departure of uh, the legendary uh, Stu Sachs after 40 plus years, um, we said uh, goodbye to him early in, in the year. 
but then uh, you coming on board as editor in chief, uh, expanding from is it six to nine issues? Is that what we're doing now? Right? Yeah, nine issues. Yep. And um, uh, you're trying new things. We run YouTube. We've got the the weekly newsletter. Um, the Tag Team 50, a, a brand new feature that that we uh, just unveiled. Um, looking back, what what was 2020 like for, for you in this first year in this role? And, and um, what are you looking forward to for the magazine in 2021? Yeah, and, and kudos to you again for the Tag Team 50 concept, because that was ended up being a really, I think I'm very proud of how it turned out. Uh, um, but also we've been getting a lot of great feedback. People will disagree with this ranking or that ranking, but nobody has said, you know, this is garbage. Why did you do that? Everybody universally seems to love this as an addition to the, uh, as you call it, our trilogy of annual rankings. Um, but to answer your question, I mean, it's been a, it's been a joy and an honor. I, I never expected to be taking over for, I mean, maybe I dreamt of it in my wildest dreams, but never expected Stu to uh, tap me to uh, to take his place, and what, I mean, when he asked me to consider it, I, there wasn't a question. Um, I've spoken to Stu a few times. He actually briefly stopped in. He he picked up his plaque uh, because he's. Uh, we announced on Twitter a few days ago uh, that he's one of the recipients of this year's Stanley Weston Award for Lifetime Achievement. Very well deserved. Um, and, you know, we spoke for a bit, of course, at a distance with masks on. Um, but it's been challenging and it's been a, I don't necessarily want to get into it right here, but I've talked about it on Twitter, just some personal things going on with my, my family this year that have made this a difficult year in addition to gestures wildly and everything else. Um, but I think I've had the strength to deal with that because I've had this wonderful job getting to work with you guys and, Everybody else who's been with the magazine, everybody else who we've we've brought in, I've made connections. I mean, I, I never got to interact with our photographers all that much. And I, even though we're not hanging out in person just yet, we're, we're certainly, you know, talking online all the time and, you know, having phone calls with people. And it's it's really been great. Um, as far as what 2021 holds uh, for us, um, I think we're going to have some announcements coming regarding world title recognition. And, uh, you know, that's not exactly sure what that is yet, but um, there's clearly been a call for us to, to make some considerations there. And I think we'll have to answer those one way or the other. Um, one thing I can announce, just to give you a little bit of a scoop here, our next issue after the year-end issue, which will be our May 2021 issue. The Referee 20. Yeah. <laughs> <People> <laughs> referees want to see it. And we, I do want to cover... I think referees definitely deserve more ink than they get, but we have to stop the list at a point. Um, no, the return of the supercards concept. Oh, that's great. I used to love yeah. that. So, yeah. So slight difference with this one, because there are so many promotions doing exciting things right now, particularly between this month and next month. Um, there will be the individual stories will be a little shorter, but still have, you know, those fun sidebars and lots of photos. Uh, but we'll be covering a lot more shows and the next issue will be uh, the May issue will be, you know, largely devoted to that. So I can announce that now. And I, uh, yeah, I'll be talking to you guys more about that writing for that. I'm sure in the weeks ahead. I mentioned that'll include uh wrestle kingdom. I don't know. That, does that line up? Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't want to give away the whole lineup just, just yeah. yet, but I mean, you know, triple mini, just happened, you know, mm -hmm. so that's probably going to figure in there. And, uh, 
you know, American promotions. We mentioned Final Battle. I don't want to give up the whole lineup. I just gave <laughs> possibly away a few of them. So you don't want to give up the whole lineup except for Triple Mania. Wrestle <laughs> there's a few, there's a handful more. Wait till you say it's going to be. Yeah, yeah, that's great. It's exciting. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you've done a terrific job of uh, uh, moving the magazine forward while also kind of reaching into the past and embracing some stuff um, that is very much part of our legacy and has worked in the past. So uh, excellent. Kudos to you. Uh, all right, we're about an ha- hour and a half here, so uh, I guess a good time to wrap it up. Uh, this was fun look back and look ahead. Thank you, gentlemen, for everything in 2020. It's been uh, a pleasure uh, working with all of you. I wish you and your families all uh, the best. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. Uh, all